Today, we're talking about how easily are we being distracted. I picked this topic because I really want to kind of discuss the concept between senses, perceptions, attention, maybe a little bit about memory, and then how we put those things into real life use, maybe even clinical practice, yoga therapy work. Because I remember me and Colin quite a while back had a really good conversation about senses. So that's where I'm coming from tonight. How about you, Colin? Okay, so you've picked a, a beautiful topic. In fact, it's the opening part of let's say the first chapter of yoga sutra and you know poses a question are we all just distracted and you know and is it actually a normal part of everyday life are we and and a big bias talking about it and understanding that distraction is part of our lives are we just more aware of it now or has it always been the case is it always you know has distraction always been there um is it getting worse or is our awareness getting better with it? I, I don't know about this. So, and also, why do we seem to have so much of an issue with our state of mind and being distracted? We seem to have a huge, huge problem about it. And so I'm wondering about that as well. Is, you just mentioned with regard to the senses and perception, is it something within us that, you know, such as our age, our genetics, our senses, our mind, you know, is it something within us or is the cause outside of us and actually we're perfect, you know, or is it so, is it, is it society, is it a lifestyle, is it education, is it digital? So can we blame it on social media? Can we actually, is social media addictive and actually creates distraction for us? Um, or is it a mix of of both of these? Um, the reason I'm, I'm I'm kind of interested in this is because Actually, I said it's the opening of, of Yoga Sutra. It's almost that in a way, when you start to translate this stuff, you see that actually all of it's there. The ancients seem to know about this. So I'm asking a question, what's new about distraction? You know, and but also what's the opposite? What, what is it actually we're looking for? What's the big promise, which is the the kind of the antidote to distraction? Um, what can we do about it? You know, and why don't we do it? Or do you see what I mean? So that's that's where I'm coming from with regard to this. I, I kind of got a number of questions about all of this. Um, and so I think probably the first point is for, for us to discuss what, what distraction is. I mean, what is distraction? So I think for me, the distraction is really about, it can be an internal, external source, but is it when we are not giving full attention onto something, something else kind of taking our mind away from the task or from the thinking it can be something that we are um avoiding because that we pick something else that's slightly more enjoyable which sometimes is called procrastination or sometimes we're delaying um what we need to complete is also a definition of procrastination it can also be a state that when we're very bored or annoyed apparently so i think that's the emotional sense into it as well but i think we we all know what distraction is but i also want to think about what is attention then? Because kind of focus attention would be the opposite of distraction. Mm. And for me, focus attention is really about how we are able to kind of discreetly to focus onto one specific sensory stimuli. And I used the example that before we come into this chat, we were just having a little chat, and I think we'll 
talk about planning this and that. I was like, you know what? My hands been feeling quite dry. My hands been feeling quite dry all day. And those of you who really know me are constantly moisturizing. I was like, actually, you know what? I'm going to stop the conversation, stop the planning. I'm going to go get some hand cream. So that's a really good way. Uh, this demonstration, I think, almost like, yeah, I'm meant to be focused on this task, but I'm not giving you the full attention. I'm actually distracted. And that stimuli for that example is from myself. Mm -hmm. And it can be for something else, like in a classroom, while you're driving, so on and so forth. So if we start to break this out, because this this, this is exactly the same with regard to yoga philosophy, exactly the same. And also, I, I probably present this now, is that in one way, we've got two different possible states. One, the first is that we can be in a state where we have attention and we're almost in a, a living meditative state or we've got a distractive state. So we've got these two kind of possibilities that are happening and they're being presented with, they've been presented in yoga. Do you see what I mean? So there's these two opposites that are there. Now, why I find these two opposites quite interesting is that you've mentioned a number of components. If we break these components out is we've got your idea with regard to your hand cream. So you've got your mind, okay? So your mind, and as you construct with your mind, what you have is you've got memory. And you've got your memory and you've got a pattern. So your memory and pattern, what your memory is doing is it kind of goes, well, actually, I know that in the past, hand cream really worked for me. And your pattern is that you'll go and reach and you'll go and do something to, to, to sort out your dry skin. So we've got this idea of a mind. We've also got this idea of a memory and a pattern that, become, you know, is part of this. And also you've got imagination, which comes, comes into this as well, because actually you've got dry skin and you imagine a time where you've actually got sort of moist skin. So it's like when I'm talking to you right now, when I talk to you, I will use certain words or I'll do certain things. And what those things will, what will happen is that those words or those things will create triggers in your mind that it will hold on to it you will then either miss a lot of what i'm saying because that trigger will create some kind of imagination in your mind that you'll go off on a tangent and go hang on i've got to bring that into the conversation in a minute and you miss a whole chunk of absolutely everything because this trigger this internal thing that has come in has caused an issue so if you bear with me a second if we break this out just a little further, you've got your mind. Your mind has a number of components into it. You've also got the what we'll call the thing that distracts you. Okay, now the thing that distracts you in yoga we call, is, is an object. We call it an object because actually that's what it is, whether it's a physical object. So it's like you're driving down the road and you, you see a friend and you're distracted from the road because you see that friend. It means that that becomes the object that becomes a thing that pulls you and then what we've got is we've got our senses the things that actually engage with everything whether that's external or whether actually what we're doing is we're using a sensory mind to engage inside of ourselves internal so what we find is that we've got several components in yoga which we are very 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 interested in and the reason we're interested in it because we've got an object which actually has power. You see, if you see a friend of yours and you're distracted, so you pull like this, that means that person has power over you. 
And one of the key things within yoga and also within meditation is very interesting is to look at how the thoughts, the ideas, the different objects that you're being presented with in life have power over you and how those those things actually pull you. So it means that the power resides in yoga. The power resides with that that thing. And that's what I find very interesting, because it means that if the power is within that thing or the power is in within your senses, because if the senses, your senses are ruling. So you see your friend. And your eyes, you look, get so much information with your eyes or your ears, you've got this Tom combination of things going on. They have the power. You don't have that power. And they pull you with that thing. And that's why it distracts you. So according to the, the opening of Yoga Sutra, this is the basis of what you're coming to look at when you're going on a journey to understand how you engage with things, engage with yourself, engage with the world, to understand the patterns you take, how words are very important to you, how what you see is very important to you, how it pulls you in these different directions. Does that make sense? Yes. And when when I was studying neuroscience, because I, I, you know, I've some study in that view in the past, it mm. kind of in, in the science bit actually further break it down into the senses as well. Because you gave the example about something coming in, maybe mm. continuously talking, but I got distracted halfway through. Yeah. But actually in, in the senses itself, uh, the human perception has such a big power of, of receiving all these information because mm. these are basically all about neural receptors and matching what has been coming in so i gave the example about my hands earlier on that's a sense of touch it feeling dry but actually at the same time i have so many other senses going on at the same time i can be feeling my hair the weight of my glasses on my face on my nose the clothes mm. i'm wearing the texture itself my feet don't have socks on at the moment so it's a big cold so these are all the things that i can process and i have the ability to process but as you said maybe in a yoga model i gave the power to actually sense more specifically onto my hands which, which is dry because then it then create a pathway where i actually then need to do something about it whilst i still haven't put my socks on my feet at the moment so it's still a little bit cold so it's i really quite like how you came to that explanation because it explained also a lot how we kind of selecting what part of the senses we are really focusing on at the time, what information we're processing, what information we're having. Because I think to coming back to your opening line, like it's, has, has this been going on for a long time? I think it does, because I think having a slightly distracted mind sometimes gives us a even evolutionary advantage. Because I think when we are and more animalistic when we're in the wild and have to hunt and gather, actually being able to be distracted every now and then, like instead of just focus on, I don't know, gathering, farming, or looking after our children, being able to see out of the corner of our eyes, something is moving, what shape is it, what size is it, is it a, is it a predator, is it something that's going to harm us, is, you know, where the changing, is the night's coming. So these are information that actually we need to be slightly distracted towards so that we can protect ourselves and act accordingly. So in some way, I think it's, it can be, it can be evolutionary advantage. Can it just be an evolutionary advantage or can it actually be with regard to, let's say you're bringing up a family and let bring up a family and you've got um, some children in the house. Do you actually ever really focus on anything? Because actually what you're doing is that you are having to keep just one 
ear oh you know that kind of where you, you you're involved but yet not involved within this whole thing so that you're always alert so I, I do I do see what you mean and I think that we see that quite a lot with regard to let's say someone is bringing children up or yeah they're always alert at night they go to bed at night and they sort of and I see this quite a lot with people as they go to bed and actually they don't sleep as deeply as they should because they always they they they're just kind of like just in case does that make sense it does make sense but you get relating to how sometimes we have internal distractions mm. is there sometimes a sense memory that plays up as well because i i as you know i've been revising lately and i actually like to listen to music when i revise maybe as a habit but sometimes actually in exam i recall the music that i was listening to the chapter that i have been revising so that's association and memory but sometimes what happens is that i just walking down the street i start actually remembering music that i've listened to and i just want to sing along with it so there's a memory of from my senses that seems to keep playing up and I don't know is it because I need to process it or I need to kind of let it play a tune or something is there an element of that as well what has happened in your day you actually have to kind of it, it, these come sometimes come back as a distraction when you actually try to calm down and rest and sleep but I, I don't think it is I think that that is actually part of emotional processing so if I if I think about it and, and I crikey I, I spoke to um someone earlier today and they said to me, emotional hangovers are very much a reality. And we started to discuss this idea because for me, this, this is all based on actually what we're just talking about, which is distraction, which is the, I have an experience of something. That experience leaves an impression in, on me and that's a memory. Does that make sense? And so I've got that experience. It leaves an impression on me. And based on that experience that experience either triggers a pattern or what happens is it starts to form or create a pattern within me so the memory and the pattern have this kind of relationship with them so again this is yoga sutra and and yoga sutra is very interesting it says memory is born out of experience and never dies and i find that absolutely fascinating especially with a lot of the cases that we come to work with because when you're looking at someone having an experience of something a memory of something how that resonance of that memory is and especially when we're looking at the emotional overload of what we're carrying at the moment and i maintain two things i maintain the fact that we don't emotionally process and i also maintain the fact that we don't transition effectively as well what i mean by transition is that the capacity to move from let's say a work environment let's say you and i do this conversation it's it's this time of the evening we finish about eight o'clock. We then do numbers of other things. We then go to bed at 10 o'clock. But have we decompressed? Have we transitioned from this place, processed all the emotions associated, not just with this conversation, what's going on, but actually with our day and then moved into sleep? No, but we're doing this all the time. And we actually wonder why we have emotional hangovers and we wonder why we get distracted and why we can't actually process or deal with things. We get overloaded with stuff. And so with what you're saying is we've got the memory, we've got the patterns, we've got our imagination, we've got the, we'll call it, you know, this, this thing that we're engaging with, whether it's internal, whether it's external, we've got our senses that are doing it, whether it's our, whether it's our skin, whether it's our smell, whether it's our sight, um, it, whether it's our hearing, we've got the way that our mind works. And in yoga, we 
construct the mind into different kinds of mind, different states of mind, because they really kind of thought about this. They sort of said, well, you know, we you need to have different kinds of mind. You've got a, a sensory mind that actually processes what comes in from the senses. And then you've got a almost a, an identifying sort of mind. So it's like an ego based mind that creates identities and rules and labels associated with what comes in. And you've got also an intellectual mind, which actually basically looks at the processing aspect of what's happening. And these are just kind of three of six parts of or kinds of mind that you get within yoga. But then we've also got different states of mind. And the different states of mind combine with different kinds of mind. So it means that you can have a, a very heavy, heavy mind. So heavy mind is like, you know, when we're about to go to sleep. And you just got to get that thing. You're reading a book or you're doing something and your, your mind just kind of goes heavier and heavier and heavier. That heavy sort of mind. But also with the emotional hangover type of mind, you get that in the morning. You get up in the morning and you're like, but I didn't drink last night. I didn't eat chocolate. I didn't have a sugar overload. Why do I feel like this? So there's a kind of heaviness there. You know, there's something... We haven't processed something in the right way. And what it does is it means that I'm not on fire. I'm not kind of hitting the ground running and going, all right, come on, let's go. There's something that I haven't processed in the right way. So we, we almost kind of, we don't pick up certain things. We don't observe certain things. We aren't aware of certain things. We walk past things. You know, we don't see things in the right way. But we can also have a very agitated type of mind. And the agitated type of mind is very interesting because also that doesn't pick up and observe and isn't aware of so many different things in the way that it interacts with things. It moves very, very quickly. It lacks the structure. It lacks the stability. It lacks numbers of other things. So there is a distraction involved in it. And so yoga puts these at two opposite ends of the spectrum. And this is actually one of um, this. This is a commentary which has been which was written on, on, on the yoga text a, a very, very long time ago. And it gives these two opposite ends of the spectrum and says, look, can be one end, can be the other end. Well, guess what? You can have a normal mind where you can probably focus. Um, and it is usually with focus for about 10 minutes, you know, and it, it, you kind of go in and out and in and out. This is kind of like a normal mind. It's not at either end of these spectrums, but it just kind of flips in and out, sort of like I get it and then suddenly I'm distracted. I get it and then I'm distracted. And so what we get is we actually then have three different possible states of mind. But then there's a fourth. The fourth is that actually I can focus. I can hold something. And when I can hold something, I'm actually there is a, a stable point. Now, this isn't a point of yoga. This is actually just a point of actually just being able to hold something. And then the possibility beyond that is a meditative state. So yoga sort of builds this whole kind of this thing out and actually looks at the possibility that when we have a distracted state of mind, actually we create huge numbers of projections in order to make sense of our reality. And I find that absolutely mind-blowing. Because if you think about it, most of us are distracted, which means that actually we're creating projections all the time to interact with each other. And we're all doing it. And we're all trying to hook and we're all confused in the way that we're interacting and communicating. It's absolutely brilliant. I love it. <laughs> Sorry for banging on. 
No, I was just going to say, I think then that, that, that ends today's podcast recording. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> no, no I, th- I think that's absolutely right. Because actually one of the most interesting questions I want to really explore in this topic is actually when you say being distracted, it almost implies you've been distracted from work or task that you mm. want to do, which is how we open today. Mm. But at the same time, it got me really to thinking, are we being distracted from work? Or sometimes are we using the term work to stay distracted? Because as you were saying earlier on, like the, I think I completely agree where there's a, not sufficient amounts of emotional processing going on. A lot of the time we don't transition roles very well from home life to work life to, you know, um, normal relationships, friendships, family, and then come back to home life. It, there's not a sufficient amounts of transitioning happening, which means we hold on to a lot of things that we need to process and we don't have the time or the effort for it mm-hmm. and sometimes what happens is we say oh actually I'm really busy I need to do this I need to get this done and we use that to distract from the need of actually processing these things sometimes doing the processing itself may not be the most pleasant or the most enjoyable task as well because you have to actually then think about why you're feeling that way do you have to resolve something is that a true um um level of death of intimacy in the relationship is there something that you need to break away from what what are the real decisions that you have to make and what are the things that you've said and what you should have said so and so forth there's so much of these information that you need to process it's it's quite quite hard it's really quite hard work and some people like choose to do it with a psychiatrist like myself or a mental health specialist or some people like to do it with friends or family or maybe with a, with a couple of bottle of wines and so on and so forth but it's it's not easy and you, because we have so much to do like as I said earlier on there's so much sensory information coming in constantly as you said through the all five senses and actually more because your sense of hunger sense of first are a sense the sense of internal pain can be a sense the sense of balance can be a sense um and i think i know you told you told me before where in yoga the mind itself can be seen as a sense as well so there's lots and lots of information that we constantly need to process and there's almost an urge that we want to be distracted away from it um i don't know what you think about that i think it's actually spot on it's it's what i see a lot of um person i was speaking to this morning about this this idea of an emotional hangover um and we were discussing actually how we do tend to avoid things so how we use substances in lots of different ways to avoid things and it's interesting because they were saying to me that are they improving in their life are they they're a singer are they getting better are they getting more famous are they getting this are they getting that are they getting the other and I was explaining that actually it, it doesn't quite work like that. It's not in a sort of a linear way. You know, we have this idea of stability as and stability is a promise in the opposite direction of, 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 of distraction. Um, it, it's not a straight line. So a stability straight line is not a straight line that goes across like this. And evolution is not a straight line that kind of goes up in this way. So it means that what are these things because we're holding on to these ideas and these notions of how these things are we're going through and we are having these emotional hangovers we're holding on to certain things and we actually we we believe that we need to keep expanding and expanding and expanding but what if 
we need to expand and contract. And actually, our evolution is an expansion and it's a contraction. And actually, that expansion and that contraction that is almost the replication of our breathing process, which is an expansion and contraction, and also the cycles that we go through in our life, which are expansion and contractions. And yet what we do is that we are using all these other things to distract ourselves from that essence and that nature of who we are, which is to expand and contract. Do, do you see what I mean? So I think what your point is, is incredibly valid because we are using all of these things around us as distractions to keep away from discovering lots more about ourselves and who we are and how we actually can find a sense of stability within ourselves and a sense of focus in our lives by allowing ourselves to expand and contract. We don't like to contract, but actually contraction is part of the way that we have to process stuff. Next time I'm late to work, I'm definitely blaming you because I'm contracting with daylight in winter. That's why I'm not getting out of bed. I'm contracting at work. But I think you're right. I think we yeah. that, that in, in, in season, there, there's an expansion and contraction as well in, in different seasons, different time of day, different mood cycle. And often we follow 24-hour clock, which actually doesn't necessarily expand and contract as much as mm. we would like it to be. I mean, this weekend is the change, time-changing those only happen like twice a year instead of quite frequently um and yes i think for us to not be as in sync it can be very very difficult because it almost feels like the life constantly can be on the same level operating on the same level actually coming out of this very difficult where we see a lot we see a lot in say retirement which is another transition where actually we, we're trying to keep the life in con I, i'm talking about from my case study in patients where because i haven't retired yet um we're seeing so, such a, a consistent level of um working and all of a sudden you retire so you go to no working state actually very difficult because you, you haven't got into the habits of actually being able to expand and contract with your work life and at the same time expand and contract on your um you know your home life or your friendship group and so on and so forth actually that's a mismatch where which is why i see the uh, these stages in my work in my mental health work because actually then can cause a lot of problems because suddenly as you said you realize there's a lot of issues that hasn't been resolved or processed and now you have to deal with it because this is in the contracted part of your life yeah what you and said then, remind oh sorry go ahead and then there's also what, what you're saying here as part of this is there is also avoidance strategies which are put in place in order not to deal with these things and these avoidance strategies are quite interesting because it, as i started earlier on today i was saying that actually within yoga the the power resides within the thing that you're linking with so if I if I see a friend, it, it means that the moment I look at that and I'm pulled by that friend, that means that thing has power. But that friend can also be something like alcohol. It can be cocaine. It can be something else that has a power. And because we perceive it, it has this power and creates this pull. It distracts you. It does this action. It's like walking past a bakery shop. As you walk past the bakery shop, the smell comes out. And what does it do? The smell has a power. And for some people, they just do this. It pulls them in this way. It distracts them. You know, it creates a response inside, like you salivate, you do various different things. It creates these kind of these things happening. 
Yeah, so the distraction is not a new concept. I think it has existed for a very long time. But social media, which is a relatively new concept or new construct, definitely has the design of attracting our attention, which may make us more distracted. I, I do have a question for you, which is how do you deal with or how to work with people who are easily distracted? Because I've seen you at work sometimes where you'll be saying something very, very good, very, very deep knowledge. And then there will be some people sort of turn around like, what did you just say? What did you, what was the, what was your last sentence? How would you do, how do you deal with these situations? Well, when I first, when I first had that is that I had something very interesting as I turned around and I'd never repeat the same thing I ever said. I said, I've forgotten and I would never repeat it again because actually that was my pure stupidity because I wasn't understanding the way that people's minds were and we never recorded anything back then. So I learned something very interesting is, is that actually when we communicate, when we talk to people, how people perceive things, the words that they pick up on, the meanings of those words for each person, the triggers that they create and how people then go into their memories or project forwards into the future, into their using their imagination, are all constructed within our interactions. And actually what it meant is that if someone didn't understand what I'd said, it's not their issue. It's actually, it's down to me to find a way to communicate and engage with them based on how they can hook in with me. And it could be that I use a movement, a breathing, a mantra, a concept, an idea, anything. It's my issue, not their issue. And this is very interesting because it means that if they're distracted, where does the power lie? And if I need them to understand something or move something, I need to put something into them to create that and to do that. And so for in the last 25 years, there's been a bit of an evolution from when I would turn around and have a small tantrum and just go, I'm not repeating myself again, to, okay, I understand something. I now need to engage in a slightly different way and a different way and a different way and a different way. Does that answer the question? Yes, it does. I think <laughs> you you laughed at me when I did that because you kind of go, you have you, you mean I, I laughed at you then or I laugh at you like now? <laughs> both. Both. <laughs> both yeah. likely both. You, you did pull me to one side once and you just turned around and said, I cannot believe the amount of patience you've got. <laughs> <laughs> Mainly because I have none. <laughs> no. um, I remember in my in my some of my therapy cases, and these are most more likely psychotherapy cases, I see it quite often as well, where in a slightly different way, they distract themselves. They they want to, because again, it's a one-to-one setting. They talk to mm-hmm. talk about quite deep issues and sometimes again, things that they potentially want to avoid talking about. So mm-hmm. we start talking about one topic and it leads onto a second one, so let's say at their relationship with their partner or their friends or their work colleagues. Mm-hmm. And then slowly transpire, oh, it's the same relationship that they had in a childhood memory or with mm-hmm. the parents or with uh, some uh, some sort of senior figures or care caregiver figures and then that realized they triggers in something and there's a painful memory it's a really distressing memory and then very quickly they would distract themselves against like oh actually but then oh that happened then this happened and i was thinking oh but I, I i thought that was quite a useful one i quite want to talk about that one because in therapy world we want to carry on thinking about what was causing things 
In the beginning, I would. I often would. Oh, actually, you mentioned something that was very interesting. Can we go back to that? Mm. Nowadays, I learned to actually maybe maybe just kind of buy my time a little bit, let it pass a little bit. Mm. And then because I realized they will often very much come back and circle back into this topic, kind of like a micro cosmic way of representing what distraction can, can work in the real life as well. Because you can only really distract yourself for so long. But so in this case, you actually accept their distraction, which is a very important thing. So you, you're observing, you accept the distraction. And the question is based on the interaction with them. Do you acknowledge it or not acknowledge it? Do you circle back again or not circle back again on their distraction? Is it a conscious distraction technique or is it actually an unconscious distraction technique? Is it a mechanism that they're using as a protective mechanism? Are they aware of it or not aware of it as part of what they're doing? I think this is a really interesting thing because I think that it means that there is a going to be a variable with regard to the rule of in, when you're interacting, which is based on understanding, based on your focus or your interaction with someone about whether you accept the distraction or not because sometimes you need to accept it or sometimes you need to then just go back and just kind of go, hang on a second. We're talking about something completely different here, you know? So, so there's, there's, there's some, there's, there's a kind of, there's an interesting thing there with regard to this. Have you um, come across cases where they will present all of their conditions to you? and be really, really honest and clear about all their conditions and the causes, almost in a way that it, that becomes the distraction for you actually getting to really help them. Do you understand what I mean by this? Because yes. it's, it's, where, it's where you get you get cases where someone just kind of, that you know, they, they're so honest and they're so, you think, oh my goodness, this is, um you know, and they're like, and this happened and, you know, I, this is, I see this and this, and you're like, that's just unbelievable. And almost they're so willing to help, but actually that in itself is a distraction mechanism and a distraction technique within the overall process. Does that, do you see what I mean yeah. by that? Not, not often, I have mm. to say, but sometimes it happens where almost, as you said, that the case presents itself very, very complete. They understand where the childhood things come from, where what happened in school, what happens next, what happened in the relationship, what is causing this part. And almost kind of like, sometimes I almost call it too nicely wrapped. It's all like all wrapped up. I remember this case study, we may have seen it, seen it together, seen this person together, where at the end of the presentation, there's no question. That was like, okay, how 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 can I help you? And there was no question, because as you said, everything is already very nicely circled. And that, that was no way in almost. So I think you're right. That, that is a distraction in that too. Yeah, it, it, that was an interesting case study. I remember that one very well. Um, and it, 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 it took a little time to, to process that. That was, that was challenging. Um, it's interesting when we come to look at, you, you mentioned distraction in it, and it also in a healthy way as well. And in, in yoga, we have this is that, Actually, when we want to start to deal with the things that we're attached to, we need to learn distraction techniques. Um, so it's almost like, if I give an idea, is that we've, a distraction technique is 
sort of the second step of, of being able to detach from something. So the first one is to get your ass out of there. Okay, so let's say you find yourself in a situation, difficult situation, it's triggering you all over the place. You get yourself out of there. Okay, this is the first step. The second step is that actually you can maintain your position in the in that situation or that relationship. However, you need to learn to distract. And you learn to distract so that actually that becomes a survival mechanism for you and so that you can reduce the triggers in that situation. So it's actually a technique that you can use in order to deal with the things that are actually creating triggers for you. And this is the, the first chapter of Yoga Sutra as well. It's a kind of, it's a very interesting idea. And actually it brings the power back onto you to distract the, and to change the narrative in situations. And I have an example of that technique in play today. Like I, I was running late to this recording earlier on, as you know, I was rushing because mm. actually there was a situation at work. So I'm working in a mental health ward at the moment where there are inpatients who potentially can get quite violent or aggressive or agitated just because of the environment they're in or the pathology that they're presenting, the mental health illness that they have. And there was one person that getting more and more uh, agitated through the day goes, well, as we saw them in the morning and then it was okay. There's a few arguments where we we'll pacify it. In the afternoon, there was a big meeting where this person was involved. We we're chatting about her, his care. Actually got more and more wound up as, you, as it goes along. The person, the nurse who was actually with this person said, then he started like clenching his fist, muttering, actually pacing up and down. We can see him like getting physically more wound up. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you said, that then we start using distraction technique because we realize actually by keeping him on the ward, it's just going to escalate. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. So mm-hmm. there's um, a really amazing physical health and physical activity coordinator who's also nurse trained on the ward. Mm-hmm. So he was like, okay, well, so-and-so, let's come over here. Why don't, why don't we do this? Let's step away from the situation for a little bit, as you said, remove yourself from that mm-hmm. situation. And let's come into the gym because we now have a gym on the ward, which is really quite amazing. Mm-hmm actually channeling the agitation, uh, aggressions, you know, frustration out that way, it wouldn't completely take, you know, resolve the issue per se, because it's a distraction technique. And I said earlier on, distraction don't always last forever, but actually it was very good way at the time to just kind of like lift the lid off a little bit from the boiling pan of water and just lift the pressure off a touch. So it didn't escalate too, too much. And that's also why I was running late today. (laughs) I, I did wonder. No, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very good example, a really good example that how we can do it for other people, but also we can do it for ourselves as well. So it becomes a quite a powerful tool. Um, what's the opposite of distraction? It, it's in, in, in yoga, it's the capacity to hold something in a light way. So what that means is to link with something or hold something in a light way. It means that if I'm focusing on you, I'm not like weirdly intense, you know, that kind of like that weird thing, you know, that sort of like really, really intense thing. Um, because what's what, the thing I think, yeah, because, because, because what's happening is that it, it, how we hold things becomes very important. A distraction is that what's happening is that the thing has power. So it distracts and moves you but you're learning to hold something, which means you get some power back yourself and you're holding something. 
Now, when we learn to hold something, quite often we learn to hold it very tightly, first of all, don't we? And so we we kind of grab it really tightly and we create lots of rules around it and we do this type of thing. But that that is only just focus. And the problem is, is that actually if we hold things too tightly, it can create issues. So we have to learn to hold something in a light way so that we can then disconnect from it, look at something else, focus on it, and then move back to it. And this creates a very sound psychological mind, according to yoga, because you've got the capacity to engage with something. Something happens in a room, you're able to, then you're able to come back and you're able to engage with something. So there becomes this very clean psychological interaction. Now, what tends to happen is that when people are engaging with things and they're either too involved or they're quite not involved enough, they get easily distracted or when they are distracted, they can't come back to the conversation. And it creates almost like a, I'm distracted, you've distracted me. It, it creates a kind of like an instability within them. So what we do and why we come to work with meditative techniques and meditation, why meditation works, is it trains the mind to hold something in a light way, to then be able to let go of it and hold in a light way again, to let go of it and hold in a light way again, but to constantly feel as you're doing it. Because if I'm feeling as I'm doing it and I'm holding in a light way and letting go and holding in a light way, I'm creating a framework, a healthy framework of interaction where actually I'm understanding the power balance between the two things that I'm working with. I don't have a Western model for how to hold things in a light way. I mm. think I'm, I'm trying to think of an example as you talk about that. The, the closest, I think, I think the mindfulness kind of almost I would call movement has been increased more and more over the last decade, two decades, maybe even three decades, uh, by different practitioners and psychologists and psychiatrists. Uh, but I think in sometimes when we talk about the concept, it, that there, there is, there's a slight discrepancy to what you just described, because that's almost a thinking, because the, the first thing I often hear people say to me is like, oh, I can't do meditation, I can't do mindfulness, my mind just raised around too much, mm. I can't stop my mind. And as I learn more and more myself is, it was rarely about stopping the flow of the mind. It's actually, for myself anyway, it's understanding there is a flow in the mind and it's okay. Because mm. I think sometimes, as you said, um, once we recognize the pattern, or let's come back to the topic a little bit about like say procrastination. Once we realize we're procrastinating, we actually all judge ourselves quite harshly almost thinking, oh, why am I procrastinating again? Why am I distracted again? Actually, then you spiral even further worse. Instead of if I was able to say, actually, oh, I recognize I just got procrastinated. It's okay. Let's start again. That actually helps me to focus a lot better because instead of the judging and inspiring me into completely different conversation and chatting in my head, mm. actually, I then trained the ability to start focusing and hopefully working towards holding things lightly again. Mm. I think that I think that we need to find a 
firstly a stable place of mind in first in order to then start to work on things. So I think having a, a stable base of mind almost in a way is is the starting point so how do we calm the mind first of all how do we calm the body how do we create that sense of pacification i think is the first step with all of this and whether that pacification is with regard to the strength of the object the strength of the senses the strength of the mind i think it's all to do with pacification first of all so we actually start to move back from the situation and sometime in that work i see you done it every now and then you actually use a distraction in order for them to stay in what you want them to do I remember there was a there was a there was a client we saw together where I think you asked them to stay in a particular asana posture, and I think the posture is starting to become a little bit physically uncomfortable, or maybe some other discomfort that they're feeling, and you ask them to raise their hands up above their head, mm. if you want breath there, and then lower their hands down afterward again. And I remember we we all wondering why 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 did you do that? What was that for? And you're saying actually you need them to stay in the posture the arm movement created something that they can do for the few extra breath and actually they can then stay. So what is going on here? What's going on is that actually what's happening is you're getting them to do something, but you're understanding the nature of their mind. And the nature of their mind is that actually it needs to keep moving and keep moving. It's got a natural wants to keep moving. So it wants to be distracted. It wants to do this. So you create one structure because in, in yoga, we work with opposite forces going on all the time. And you're presenting one force in one way, one force in another way. And the, you're keeping one structure working and one movement working. And so then what starts to happen is that the person then feels that they're very much involved in what's happening and it helps the mind. So you're completely right. In fact, most of the yoga positions, the way that we design yoga practices, the way that we engage with people, the way that we use breathing techniques, mantras, meditative practices, all of every single one is to do with the quality of the mind that you're presented with. So the decision that we make and the route that we take is dependent on their ability either to focus or be distracted. Mm. so i i don't know if this is an unfair question to ask but in your experience mm. what is the effect in yoga and ayurveda point of view is a psychotropic medication like antidepressant or antipsychotic i ask because in my work obviously they are effective like antidepressant can help to alleviate or at least reduce the amount of low mood that you're feeling or low energy sometimes it can be helped low enjoyment in life can be helped antipsychotic can be very good in controlling hallucination psychotic symptoms or mm. sometimes even act as, uh, act as a mood stabilizers as well but very often i hear patients will say that uh, the part the side effect is they have a numbing sensation they almost feel mm. numb and there's a dullness or there's a bluntness to their emotion and affect yeah. 
So I wonder what have you have you come across this kind of presentation? A lot of times, in fact, it, it, there seems to be a reduction of feeling and capacity to feel, and a numbness which actually makes everything very much okay. But it also causes a huge deep distress underneath, emotional distress underneath. So even though everything's okay, almost underneath the surface, there's this emotional distress. I don't know how to answer. I have my opinions on it, but I don't. I don't think they're founded. Um, I don't think they're fully formed as of yet with regard to how I can present them in a, in, a, in a kind of a clear way. So I have my perception on it, and I'm aware that the patients are, are numbed and they lack feeling. But in another way, they don't. It's almost that they're behind glass screaming for some reason. That's the analogy that I can give. But everything's actually okay for them. So it's, it's very, very helpful. Yeah. And it does help. And statistically, it does help. But there's something else going on that I can't articulate in a clear enough way at this moment in time to you to... to does that make any sense? Yeah, because I have some experience. I definitely need a whole lot more. And mm. uh, I have some opinion as well, which I can't quite formulate. But I work with people on both, both spectrum where I work with people in therapy setting where they are on psychotropic medication. There are sometimes mm. they are not on psychotropic medication. And sometimes it's better to have the medication on because you get them, as you said, to a more stable place, mm. even though there's still a... Uh, unease or disturbance underneath mm. is actually better that they are more stable so that you get them to a place mm. where they're well enough to work in these deep, deep, deeper psychological working but sometimes actually for them to be not uh, off the medication a little bit where these things are surfacing much easily and then uh, coming back to the topic of tonight they're not distracted so much away from these emotional disturbance actually allow the working a bit easier so i have some experience on both so that's why i just want to ask what your what's your view on it no i i i i think that that goes along with pacification for me to pacify first of all but use a medication to actually pacify so that then you can begin some other work so i agree with you on this what's your feeling on using something like ritalin um in order to stop distraction and create focus Ritalin confuses me, <laughs> if I'm being completely honest. It really confuses me because it's a stimulant medication, mifafenidate. Uh, we use it quite, not quite regularly, but commonly. So mm. like not so much everyday prescription. It's a restricted construction, uh, construction? Restricted <laughs> prescription in this country. So we use it in mostly childhood ADHD conditions, so attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder. Mm -hmm. How it really works, I, I, I have to say, because I, as you know, I work with teams um, that is focused on child and adolescent psychiatry, and I work with a specific team who works for neurodevelopmental disease, so including ADHD. Mm. The, the, the mechanism of it really co confound me, because I can't quite understand how a stimulant medication can mm. actually help with someone who's already having a problems of inattention hyperactivity mm. i think there's something to do with the reward um reward um system and pathway inside the brain mm. but more often in a clinical practice what i hear is once they're taking the medication 
almost you put the person into a bit of a hyperdrive, the, the child into hyperdrive. So they're able to focus into the work that they need to uh, focus. So we usually ask them to take the medication around breakfast time, just before school and in a uh, formula that actually released for about four to eight hours. And afterward, you almost have a little bit of a crash effect where they're kind of a little bit so exhausted because they've been focused for so long. And we know that's the effects that can potentially affect sleep. It can affect your appetite as well because the person has been focused so much. So that's what I've learned and also seen in this effect. How does it actually work in brain chemistry? I don't think I can offer much more. Okay, so, so it'd be similar to if someone came in that was distracted. For me, I wouldn't get them to lie down on the floor and breathe. I wouldn't put them into a restorative position with their legs up in a chair and I wouldn't do any of these things at all I'd actually get them to move quite quickly I'd get them to do active vinyasa type movements very you know quite brisk movements so in a way it's a similar idea is that actually you're meeting the same force with the same force rather than trying to counter it you're actually beginning to go along with it to harness it so Yes. Um, this is just, I, it's just, it's just my, what I, yeah, my, my, my. I think that's very good comparison. It's just that on the other hand, I was just thinking also, strangely, I think Ritalin usually work less well in adults from experience. <laughs> I think they work better in children because I think Ritalin, part of the reason why it's a controlled drug, because it gives more euphoric effects when it's using adult brains. So that's also the other side why it's confusing me. It can be used in, in extreme circumstances, but usually most clinicians will avoid prescribing it. Um, but yeah, I think in the yoga tool, I will be much happier to do more faster paced practice rather than prescribing medication usually. <laughs> What's come out of this for you today? What came out is we had a very good conversation tonight, but somehow I feel like I get quite distracted from the richness of this conversation because my mind's going to a lot of different places and want to explore a lot of different topics. Yeah, we, we've, we've, thank you. We've, we've, for me, I, I, we've, we've covered a lot. I, I like the way that we looked at internal distraction, external distraction, distraction as emotional techniques um distraction we we never we haven't really picked up on the question is 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 social media designed to distract we didn't we didn't really pick up on that i saw i saw we kind of like move that to one side but my feeling is that it itself is designed it's designed in a particular way to distract to pull you so it actually has more and more power to pull i i, I that's my personal feeling um yeah i just want to say thank you so much for this evening I, I got a lot from tonight and i really enjoyed our conversation me too absolutely agree and i think there are quite a few different social media um documentary and social media as well i think one of them is called the social dilemma the reason why i didn't quite go into that topic is i don't think i've learned enough to explain that side of the working as well i'm not a coder i don't i don't understand the computer working too much i can barely work the telecommunication but if mm. you're interested i think those documentary can explain a little bit more mm. thank, thank you, you so much it was such a good conversation thank you thank i learned you. so much from you thank you and i look forward to to our next one absolutely thank you, you thanks
ไป